awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. Um, I really appreciate uh, the introduction. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Jeannie, and I am an alcoholic. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm thankful for Laura and a woman named Michelle. She asked me to um, share tonight. And, you know, it's always an honor and a privilege um, really to be asked to be of service um, to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, we wear many hats here, right? Um, on Monday nights, I'm the greeter at um, one of the groups that I go to. And Sunday through Thursday, I facilitate the big book and I do a lead there. And tonight I get to share with you guys. And um, whatever hat we're wearing, it's all necessary and it's all a privilege. And I come from a lineage where uh, we are required to always say yes. And, and actually not only just yes, but yes, please right because somebody said yes to me and so my responsibility is to turn around and say yes to another person and um you know I trust um in my higher power and I trust I'm like I have no idea why I'm here I don't know why Michelle asked me right like we had known each other at this one meeting on a Thursday night for maybe two months tops. Um, but I heard her share, she heard me share. And I don't know why I'm here tonight, but I do trust that there's a message for somebody. And maybe even that person is myself, or maybe it's all of us. I mean, we're talking about the power of God. We're talking about a power that is infinite and it's power and love. And, um, you know, maybe all of us are going to walk away with something that we need to hear tonight. And, and maybe we won't even realize it. Maybe it'll be a word or a phrase that we hear it from something I say, or from a share or from what Laura said, right? That we just casually say to another person and it saves their life. And like, that's the kind of unreasonable, unreasonableness that we're dealing with here, right? Because like, I don't know about you guys, but I tried all those reasonable things, right? The self-help books, the promises, the uh, believe in my own lies, the uh, swearing off alcohol, the rehabs, the 90 and 90, whatever it was that I was trying to use to get me away from the place that I was, uh, um, that was driving me to drink really. Um, so if you guys don't mind, um, if you would indulge me, I'd like to throw a little prayer out into the universe. Um, you know, this is a spiritual program. Um, of course, whenever I say God or Lord or anything like that, it's a, it's a God of your own understanding. Um, but this is a sacred place. You know, women in recovery are sacred. Uh, we are sacred. And um, it always cracks me up because like the beginning of the book where it talks about we are 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. At the beginning, there was like one woman maybe two or three, it, there was no space for us, right? There was like Marty Mann and maybe a few others. And now all of a sudden present day, and we read that in a big book meeting and it's like, go to any meeting and we're 50% or more. I mean, we are a force to be reckoned with. So um, if, you, if you can just like take a second to pray, that would be great. And I'll end with the 11th step prayer too, because you know we're in 10 and 11, 12 tonight. Um, creator, spirit of the universe, God of our own understanding. I thank you so much for this awesome opportunity to come here with my sisters, for us to learn what we're supposed to learn, get into what we're supposed to get into. I ask that you would help me to check my ego at the door, to remove the script, to give me the words that you would have me say, and for everybody here to have the ears that can hear what you want them to hear. 
but most of all for our hearts to be joined, for us to feel and connect with one another and then with you so that we can be in the sunlight of the spirit. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. And it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. And thank you for that. I really appreciate it because, you know, for me, it's about getting connected and that's what we're kind of going to be talking tonight about like emotional sobriety and, um, you know, without emotional sobriety, we're dead. And if we're dead, we might as well drink again. Right. We might as well just go back to that miserable state and one comes before the other and the other becomes, you know, before that. And they're both really intertwined. And, um, you know, I didn't understand a lot of that, especially when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought, oh, okay, drinking is the problem. Stop the drinking, all will be well. But it turns out that when I stopped drinking, I was left with me. And it turns out even more that alcohol was my solution. Alcohol was what was keeping me together because it was so hard to feel the way I was feeling. It was so hard to be living in the fear, the resentment, the um, self-centered fear, the pity, the jealousy, the whatever emotions that were running rampant inside of me. I did not know how to squeeze those down deep enough where they didn't matter in my life and run my life. And that's why I drank. And that's why I drank the way that I did. Um, I have a sobriety date. It's December 23rd, 2021. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. I have a home group. It's by the book in the United Kingdom. Um, we study the big book every single day. And we are like the funnest bunch of people, right? Before the meeting and after the meeting. But when the meeting starts, we get right into the solution. I've done the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've done them a bunch of times. And um, you know, I've done them where they got me to a place where I am recovered. I'm recovered from that hopeless state of mind and body, and I'm not cured. And the big book is very clear about it. On page 85, it says that we are not cured, but what we have is a daily reprieve, contingent. And here it is, daily reprieve. That means each and every day that we must do this work. Daily reprieve, contingent on my spiritual maintenance. And I learned a lot of hard lives um, a lot of hard lessons in my life and in my recovery life. My recovery is not a straight line. I didn't come in 15 years ago and then plop here. I am 15 years later and everything was like care bears and unicorns and everything was fine. And I quit drinking. So it's all great, right? It wasn't like that for me. My recovery is up, down, sideways, backwards, lots of backwards, you know, then a lot of forwards. And um, it's all over the place. And that's what I'm here to talk about. And I have no idea why I'm here. I don't know why. I do know that Michelle, the woman that asked me, is a woman that's connected because I've heard her share. I've watched her. I can see the sunlight of the spirit coming through her. Um, but if higher power has struck this woman who was connected to ask me, then maybe I have a message. 
And, um, and, you know, and sometimes it's the power of a negative um, message that helps us to realize, you know, like, that's not where I want to be, right? I don't want any taste of that. Like, I certainly don't want the negative parts of my life. But how do we get to the other side of that? And that's what I'm here to share about what it was like, what happened and what I am now over and over and over. I mean, this, this deal is cyclical. It goes round and round and round. And, um, you know, listen, we need to, I need to, I'm hoping all of us can set aside what we think we know when we come into this space, right? Um, certainly that's what our higher power would have us do, right? Set aside what we think we know. The big book tells us sometimes we miss the beauty of the forest because we're diverted by the ugliness of some of the trees. And he tells us to lay aside our prejudice. It tells us to get away from what self is telling us is the truth and get into what God would have us be the truth. And, um, you know, I hope that qualifies. My, the ultimate qualification in Alcoholics Anonymous is simply this. Once I put alcohol into my body in any form, right, I don't have the power to choose. I can't remember. I cannot bring into my suffering, um, you know, a week, a day, a year you know, whatever. I cannot trust my mind basically because it cannot tell me not to do the things that are killing me. And my brain wants me dead. And, um, I don't want to be dead. You know, I want to be happy, joyous, and free. And that's what this book tells us that we can be. We can be recovered from the hopeless state of mind and body. We can be happy, joyous, and free. And it doesn't even say that we can be, it says God wants us to be. And so how do we do that? And that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the things that we can do so that we can be balanced. That's why I chose the 11th step prayer. You know, I've committed the third step, seven step and 11 step prayer to memory. And the reason why I've done that is because I am an alcoholic that gets in pinches. It could be a beautiful sunny day. The world could kind of be doing what I want it to be doing. And my mind will still tell me that I'm in um, a, a, a disconnected place, that I am at a place where I'm in trouble. I can feel it. I can sense it. And prayer really is, pardon me, um, my only shot, my only defense to get um, you know, to the place that I need to be. This is about conscious contact. It's about not living the life that I lived before, not feeling the way that I felt before so I don't have to pick up a drink right? But sobriety is putting down the drink, like just being removed from alcohol is simply not enough. It isn't for me, right? Because I get worse, not better when I put down alcohol. And I, like, I first time I heard that I was like, what is that person talking about? You get worse, not better when you put alcohol down. Well, so here's the thing, though, when I when I don't have something that I can obsess on, get my brain on, um, all of that other chatter, all of that other stuff becomes humongous. And I, I catastrophize every single thing in my life, the fear, the pain, you know, the um, selfishness, the resentment, the anger, the hurt, the soreness, whatever it is that's right before me, that is basically dictating the way that I live my life. And um, so I want to give you guys a little bit of a background about my story, because I mean, I'm, there's nothing unique about me. Like I'm, I'm a suffering alcoholic woman, just like you guys. Um, but thank God Alcoholics Anonymous is a place for relapsers. And thank God there's a place for us that don't know how to put the alcohol down that we can go to a place that we can learn how to get well and live the lives that God wanted us to live in the first place, happy, joyous, and free. Um, I'm from San Francisco, California. 
which is on the other side of the country. Here I am in Pennsylvania. I mean, if that's any indicator of what alcoholism does, right? Like I started way over here and now I'm way over here, you know? So from zero to 50, uh, you know, that geographical and everything in between. And, um, you know, I did not grow up in an alcoholic home, you know, some slight uh, a privilege to the extent of like, you know, we had everything that we needed and, um, you know, but there was no alcohol, but my mother was very sick and it was very, don't trust, don't talk, don't feel kind of home. Um, my mom was not the kind of mom that I could go to and talk about my feelings. Like we weren't sitting down at the kitchen table and discussing how we were feeling that day when I was five years old, it was more like a, you know, and it was the era too. It was the eighties. It was the seventies and the eighties. And it was like, you know, the expectation is, uh, get away right? There's like no emotional connection. And so that started me early on with the emotionalism. Um, I grew up in an atheist home. So it was a very atheistic home. Uh, there was no God, there was no Santa Claus, there was no Prince Charming that was going to come save me. Uh, my mom was really like this uh, pragmatic realist and uh, devoid of her feelings. And I suspect looking back, not able to look at those feelings. Um, I had trauma as a child. Um, I'm not here to talk about the trauma. I'm here to talk about my alcoholism. And really, truly, those are two distinct things. I may have drank at times over the traumas of my life, but those are not the reasons why I became an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, a woman that once I put alcohol into my body in any form, I cannot put it down. I literally physically cannot stop. And I don't want to once it's in my body. I'm like, that's the most painful feeling in the world to drink and then stop. Like for an alcoholic of my type, it certainly is. Um, you know, so childhood was, you know, fairly normal here and there. I did have the trauma. So I, I did the whole like secrecy thing and, and, you know, that didn't serve me well. Um, I found alcohol at 14. I drank, um, maybe like how the book says, like a moderate drinker, right? Like around 14, 14 to maybe 18, I was a moderate drinker and by moderate, um, by my standards, right? Like I still got wasted. I still got blacked out, but I didn't drink daily. Um, I was at a place where um, I could put it down because I had to go to high school, right? Or I had to go do things or I didn't realize I could drink 24 seven at that point. Um, so I was a moderate drinker. And then the, you know, the book, big book talks about how we get into a certain type of hard drinker. And so from like 18 to 25, I became that real hard drinker. And people started saying funny things to me, like, can you not start drinking until after the wedding reception or, um, Hey Jeannie, does one seem like too many and a thousand never enough? Like somebody said those words to me and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Right? Like it didn't make any sense to me because to me it was like, I'm going to drink and I'm going to drink the way that I wanted to. And I probably could, and actually maybe even did because if it was like, I was drinking on Friday and Saturday and I had to dry out from Monday and Tuesday, so be it. I still had the power of choice to live my life that way. I had all of the stuff, all of the isms. I still suffered from that spiritual disease that compelled me to drink. It's progressive. I was going to get worse. And one day I ended up that real alcoholic. I went from the cucumber to the pickle. And once we go to that place, we only have two choices. Always from that moment on, the second we cross that line, 
always only two choices. And the big book is very clear. There is no middle of the road solution. When we stand at the turning point, we have two choices and we only have those two choices. God either is or is not a spiritual life die an alcoholic death. And he says it over and over in this book. And so, you know, that fast forward to my late twenties, um, like, you know, not enough time to go into all of this. I actually forgot to ask how much time I should be sharing, Laura. I'm sorry. Go to nine twenty. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And, um, and so anyway, lots of stuff in there. I mean, like, I don't need to drunk a log, right? I don't need to share the, um, the awesome, funny stories and the sad, sad, um, scary stories. Like, you know, we all have that. We all know what it is. It's relative to us, but it's all the same, same, you know, same party, different day, same party, different alcoholic. It's just whatever, you know, no point in that. We're not here to talk about how I got drunk. We're here to talk about how we get recovered. And um, so I'm in San Francisco and then all of a sudden late twenties, I'm in New York city spiraling, right? Because I had passed that point and I can't make much sense of it. And um, you know, in the space of a year and a half, I went to, um, gosh, it was so long ago. So it was about 15 years ago. I went to, uh, I went to five rehabs, uh, three psych wards, uh, the ER two times, um, a whole host of stuff that was going on, uh, spiraling. There was, um, other substances other than alcohol involved. Um, you know, because I was doing that alcoholic thing, right. Where I was like, um, I mean, I hope I'm painting a picture of like how emotionally unstable I was. Right. And that was in tandem with my spiritual disease. The two were so intertwined. But, um, you know, I was doing that thing where I'm like, well, maybe if I don't drink, but I do this other alcohol in another form thing. Right. Or, you know, I was doing that other crazy stuff. I sat in Starbucks really trying to figure this out. And I believed that I would do this calendar of events, but I was like, okay, I'm only going to drink white wine on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then red wine. Cause it gets me drunker on Tuesday and Thursday. And the hard stuff is for high holidays and, um, I'll dry out every other week or one week a month or whatever my crazy list was, sat alone by myself in a Starbucks and wrote this calendar of events. And like normal people don't do that. And that's also really insane, right? And like that is um, unbalanced. And um, balance is what I'm seeking today. And that's what I was seeking back then, but I didn't know it. See, like my entire life, I was on a perpetual quest. I was always looking to get away from the way I was feeling in that moment because I didn't have a defense. I didn't have a way to get to it. I didn't have the tools. Remember at five years old, we weren't sitting at my table talking about my feelings. I had no way to learn how to live. And whether I was five, 10, 15, 25, looking out into the world, it looked like you guys all knew how to live and that you were in some flow, some rhythm of life that if I could only just tap into it a little bit, then, then you guys, if I could convince you guys that I was like you, then I would live in that life too. And I couldn't get there. I just couldn't. I didn't have the emotional awareness. I didn't have the tools. And most importantly, I was shrouded in this spiritual disease and, and, and it, was, it was bubbling up and there was more and there was more. And the more I had that disease, that malady, they call it in the book, the more I had to drink. So in that year and a half and all that spiral, and uh, I was in New York, and then I somehow ended up in PA and my last um, rehab that I went to, um, 
you know, my very last drink at that point, that point in my life, um, ended up in a uh, suicide attempt uh, that I did in a blackout that, um, you know, I, I came within minutes of my life and I, um, my family got really involved at that point and I was whisked away to primary care and secondary care. And I came out and I started doing the 90 and 90 and I was um, bringing cookies to the meetings and I was, and you know, I got a sober boyfriend and I got some sober friends and, and uh, I was hanging out at meetings and I was doing everything but the 12 steps. And what happened for me, and this is how I discovered that I get worse, not better when alcohol is removed. And I don't have that spiritual defense because somewhere around eight or nine, it just got to be too much. Somewhere around eight or nine months, it was like rubbing tinfoil together whilst scratching a chalkboard at the same time. I mean, the feeling that I had on the inside was just awful. And it's like, I'd rather drink and feel awful than feel that and feel awful because it was just too much for me. And so um, after those nine months, I relapsed and, um, and I ended up in the hospital again, nearly dying again. And I came back out and I got a new sober boyfriend and I got a new sober home group and friends. And, and uh, before I was bringing cookies, but now I'm bringing like cookies and donuts. Right. And I'm like, like, I'm going to have, I didn't have two sober boyfriends, but I had lots of sober friends. And, but here's the thing, no steps nobody told me there was nobody there to tell me that, you know, listen, if you want to get well, you got to get the steps in your life. You got to do the program. I was doing all the fellowship stuff, but I wasn't doing the actual work in the program. And when we don't do the work, we don't get well. And it's not like people were trying to kill me, but they were because, um, nobody was telling me I have to do the work. I just didn't know. And, um, so after that second time, it was like nine months um, had come around again and that tinfoil feeling was coming back. And um, so what happened was um, I ran into an ex-boyfriend. His name was Josh and Josh was really cute and he was a total jerk. So of course I dated him and I dated him for like uh, four years. This was out in California. I mean, this is how I handled Josh um, when I was 23 years old, some friends threw me a a surprise, like a uh, masquerade party. And he was there um, and he needed all the attention. And that really, really ticked me off. So I went around to about nine different uh, girlfriends and said, Hey, go ask Josh to do a shot with you. And uh, about 15 minutes later, he was wasted because he did nine shots in 15 minutes and the rest of the party, he was in the bathtub passed out exactly where I needed him to be. So if that's any indication of the sickness that we were in at that point. Um, so anyway, Josh re-enters my life in my uh, early thirties. Uh, he's, um, you know, travels with um, famous bands and stuff. And uh, he comes to New York. He looks me up. Uh, we reconnect and he's sober. And he's not the same person as he was. And so here I have eight or nine months, Jeannie, with the, with the tinfoil uh, rubbing together and that feeling from the inside out. Um, and then here's Josh, a completely different person, not somebody that I tried to get pass out in the bathtub, right? Um, not suffering from road rage, not being a, the jerk, just being pleasant and a completely different person. I could see the ch psychic change within him. And so, um, you know, what happened was he asked me, he goes, so Jeannie, you're sober. That's great. How's your program going? 
And I was like, oh, it's great. I go to a meeting every day. Um, you know, I have um, sober friends, this, that, and the other. That's the fellowship, Jeannie. How is your program going? Well, I bring cookies to the meeting. I have a commitment here. I do this, I do that. I mean, like, those are all great things, guys. Um, but So I'm not trying to diminish that. But he literally was the one person in my life. It was like God spoke through him. And he goes, no, Jeannie, how is your program going? And I wasn't well enough. I wasn't balanced enough. I wasn't emotionally stable enough to receive that and the message that he was getting. And I was like, oh, there's the old Josh trying to tell me what to do, trying to put me down or this, that and the other. Right. Because, you know, I'm dead on the inside. I've been removed from my only solution. I'm not at a good place. I have this big plastic smile on my face. Everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But I was not fine. And maybe he knew. I'm not really sure. But I was like, self, right? I was like, oh, there he goes again. But something happened. It was like my head cracked open, my heart along with it. And then these words came into my head and it said, what does he have to gain to tell you to do the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? And from that moment, my life changed. I said, well, I've never done the steps. Well, I don't, I don't even have a year. What do I do? There's no women in Pennsylvania that, were do, you know, that are doing the steps. They all just get together in women's meetings and talk smack about their husbands. And uh, you know, like I didn't have what I needed to get well at that time. And he said, here's a woman's phone number and she will sponsor you. And her name was Trinity. And she was my very first sponsor. And she took me through those steps. And as a result of doing those steps, so the steps didn't get me sober. The steps got me to conscious contact with my higher power. And that kept me sober for 12 years, 12 years of living in the sunlight, I might add, of continuous sobriety and not of my own doing. I didn't do any of that. Trinity didn't do it. Josh didn't do it. Nobody that was in my life was doing that for me. I made a decision to do those steps. And in doing those steps, I was put in a life. I was rocketed to the fourth dimension of existence where I was to know happiness and peace and all of the things that I was looking for in the alcohol. The alcohol promised me that I would feel better, but recovery was delivering that I got better. And life got great. And so let me uh, share a quick story about Janet. Uh, I'm sorry, about Trinity. Um, Trinity was an amazing woman. She was my sponsor for a really long time. And um, I would call her and complain about my boyfriend and, and people not doing what I wanted. And she would dutifully listen. And then I would complain some more and complain some more. And I was balking on my fourth step. I was almost done with my fourth step, right? But I'm just not doing it. I'm taking it too long. The tin foils scraping together. And she goes, you know what, Jeannie, I want you to get a sponsee. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not even done with the 12 steps. She goes, I think it's time for you to get a woman to, to carry this message to. And I said, but I'm not done. She said, then find a woman that's sicker than you. Um, there's no shortage of sick people in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Find a woman that is sicker than you and show her that work that you've done so far. And, you know, there's a, a book called AA Comes of Age um, that uh, Bill Wilson wrote. And on page 21 of that book, they talk about how they had such a demand for people that needed to get well in AA that um, people that only had a month or a week of sobriety were carrying this message and sponsoring new people so that they could get to the, to the next place that they needed to get so that they could do the steps. And I didn't know it at the time that Trinity was having me do that. 
You know what I mean? But that was Bill Wilson, the, the, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He wrote the big book at five years sober. He wrote that book that I'm talking about at 21 or 20 years sober. And um, he had been sober for 20 years, which means, and he'd also been emotionally well, right? Talking about how we can get recovered and that everybody, regardless of where, the you are, where you are on the time continuum, should help the next person. And that's what Trinity knew. I mean, I don't know if she read that part of the book, but that's what she was doing to me. And I didn't want to. And she said, well, will you pray on it? And I said, yes, I will. And because I had had enough of the steps and enough of the program and enough of the direction and enough of that icy heart cracking open and the light coming in, um, I kept my word and I got to my knees and I prayed that night like I had been doing. And that night I asked, I said, will you please bring a woman into my life for me to sponsor? I didn't believe it was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen. So I did it. And the next day I was chairing a meeting. And a woman walked in and her name was Janet. And um, Janet was a wreck and she had been sober a couple of days and she was bawling her eyes out. And she shared that she was just gotten sober and she was scared to death. And I shared during that meeting, I guess I was asked to qualify or something like that. And I must've said something. I don't know what I said, but God had me say whatever I needed to. And that woman came up to me and she said, will you please be my sponsor? And these words came out of my mouth and I don't know where they came from. And I said, you know, um, yes, I will. I said, I'm not going to keep you sober. You're going to keep me sober, but I'm going to show you this work. And then you're going to show another woman and that woman is going to keep you sober. And that is how we do this. And so remember that name, Janet, because she's part of my story, right? She's, she's a, a really big part of my story. So I got sober. I was sober for 12 years, but somewhere around the 10th year, I had, you know, a baby at the eighth year at the 10th year, my daughter was a toddler. Um, I have a business, my business started growing and essentially recovery started giving me, God was giving me, it's always God giving me all of these gifts. And, um, I was trained well. I, you know, I did that. I I've taken well over 75 women through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And in that period, because there was no, you know, my sponsor was in California. So I had a responsibility and there was a whole crew of us and we were making a difference. You know, we were all in the fourth dimension. Right. Um, but as my life got busier and, and shiny things got shinier and my ego started to reemerge. And it happens. And maybe that's the message I'm, I'm supposed to have. How do you go from double digit sobriety and living in the sunlight of the spirit to a three year spree where you nearly die? My emotional well being was the first thing that went because I got super duper well in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then this is where I was recovered. I was recovered from that hopeless state of mind and body. But as quickly as we can be recovered, we can be recovering right? Because when we're disconnected from that higher power, it happens in an instance. And the good news about that is we can go from recovering to being recovered in just as quick an instance, because this is the power of God. This is where we're at. This is what we're dealing with. But I didn't know any of that because self started coming back. The ego started coming back and the shiny things were, were more important. And this is what my life looked like slowly, but surely from year 10 to 12, other things were taking a priority over my recovery. I don't need to go to that meeting. Oh, I don't need to sponsor you. Let me give you to one of my sponsees. I don't need to sign up for that commitment. I mean, don't you know me? I'm a facilitator. You know what I mean? Oh, I read the big book. I speak at in front of 200 people or whatever it was that my head would tell me. And um, 
And uh, it was subtle though. It wasn't, it wasn't a big in your face thing. And so as time went on from 10, the 10th year, the 11th year, the 12th year, I was without defense, without a, a, a drink. You know, my emotional well-being was starting to be shattered because all of the things that come along with the ego start coming back. Self, the fear, the um, uh, the resentments, the pettiness, and all of these things started consuming me once again from the inside out. But I had a head full of AA. I had an ego that said, oh, not me. It won't happen because I didn't have an obsession over alcohol. I didn't want it. That morning that I, th that day that I drank, I woke up recovered, but I woke up recovered, emotionally bankrupt and without a spiritual defense. And so when the stuff hit the fan and when I was at that turning point, remember I'm an alcoholic with a chronic disease, right? It will never, ever, ever go away. It was arrested and then it came back. I was without a defense. And um, I was at that middle of the road and I made the wrong decision. And I didn't even realize it was happening. And I was on a three-year spree. And I don't want to go into the details of the spree, but I do want to say this. Um, um, it was a long, hard fight to get back here. I have five months today and I, not today, like five months and five days or something like that. I have five months of recovery. And guys, I am more sober at five months than I was at 10 years because I'm here and I'm suiting up and I'm showing up and I get to have the daily reprieve. And that's where step 10 is. The spiritual life is not a theory. And if we're here to talk about 10, 11, and 12, then what we're here to talk about is how to stay emotionally stable, how to get uh, balanced and how to stay here. So we did all of this work all the way up until nine and 10 that's about keeping the channel clear. That's about not letting all that stuff that was inside that tinfoil that's rubbing together, not letting that add up to the place that my only option is to drink. It tells us on page 43 of this book, it says we are 100%, not 90%, not 80%, 100% hopeless apart from divine help. And if we don't have that in our lives, and, and he doesn't mince his words every, ever, he says, every day is a day that we must be the Good Samaritan, daily reprieve. In step 11, it talks about how we wake up in the morning, we get to God before our disease can get to us. We go to bed and we think to God, um, we um, get connected to God, right? So in the morning, in the evening, and throughout the day, and the word that he uses is constant. So in step 10, we're keeping that channel cleared. That's not about a gratitude list. I mean, a gratitude list is great, but keeping the channel clear is about as those things that pop up that I drink over, that I am emotionally unwell about, that drive me to get to this place, they cannot, they cannot build up. And as the resentments come in, and it tells us it's a very simple formula, and it's a formula that works for all of our problems. If a problem crops up, we take counsel, we pray, we go be of service every single time. And we have to often write it down. I come from a lineage where we write our 10 steps down. If somebody pisses me off, I write down what happened. I, I write down what my fears are behind that. I look at my part in that and I look at what I should have done instead. And then after I do all of that and I take counsel with my sponsor, I go out and do God's work. Because the book tells me to, and the book doesn't have lies. This book helped a hundred people less than a hundred years ago. And now it's helping millions. 
of people, right? We went from two people, two hopeless drunks to 20 million in 80 years. I mean, that's a power that I can get into. It's not like it's accidentally happening. Like this is the real deal solution. And it works for a real deal alcoholic like myself. If you drink like me and you need a solution like me, then this is what happens for us. And so 10 is about clearing the channel. And 11 is about that conscious contact. Remember, I told you I picked up and I did not have a spiritual defense that day. I didn't wake up and go, oh, I feel like a drink. It was the furthest thing away from me, but my disease was there, ready, lurking. It was subtle. It was insidious, you know, and looking back, God, it was baffling, right? And then my mind played tricks on me in those three years. It was like, maybe those AAers weren't right. Well, maybe you're, maybe it did go away, but like, I know we all know never cured. That's what it says, you know, but the disease is so strong. And what I needed was a higher power. I needed a power that was greater than the alcohol. I needed a power that was greater than the spiritual disease and not just any old power. I needed the highest power. That's how sick I am. My friend Colleen, she's also my sober sister. We have the same sponsor. She says those words, the highest power. Let us get to the highest power that will take care of all of our problems. I'm here to learn how to live a life. I'm not here to learn how to stop drinking, right? I'm here to stop drinking and stay stopped and be happy in, in between. And so we have, you know, 10 clearing the channel. We have 11 all right, 916 guys, four more minutes. We have um, step 11 that helps us to have this conscious contact. And it gives us the 11th step prayer, right? Where instead of seeking the love, we're giving the love rather than trying to get people to understand us. If you only understood me, let me pause and get away from myself and get into understanding you. This is maturity. This is emotional maturity. This is something that... Um, we have to work from like, listen, you guys, I grew up in AA when I was sober for those 12 years. That's where I did my emotional growing, you know, and it was stunted. I went from recovered to being recovering to being, um, on a three-year spree, right? That's the, that's the, the zigzag and the up down of my recovery. Um, but you know, my sponsor tells me, she goes, Jeannie, you are uniquely qualified to talk to another person, another woman about your journey and to help them not have to live that way. Listen, you guys, the last time I drank, you know, I look normal, but the last time I drank, I was taken to the hospital by ambulance with a 0.49, which is enough to be in a coma or dead. Somebody was at my house that's never at my house and found me that way. If she wasn't here, I wouldn't have gotten to the hospital and I would be dead. I have a nine-year-old daughter. But that's the kind of thing that it takes for me to stop drinking. Those are the things. And my eyes wide awake all of the sudden, because now I'm as desperate as the desperate can possibly be. And I'm willing to do this work. I mean, I came back out, guys, I did a 30 hour fourth step. I did a nine hour fifth step. I do not want to die. I don't. And you know what? All of that growing up I did in AA, it never went away. What happened was I just started going backwards. I just started having the ego take precedence over the things and the gifts that Alcoholics Anonymous had given me. 
And so we clear the channel, we get to God, and then we go out and we do his work. And I have my big book right here. And I got to read this because this is my all time favorite, favorite line in the book. And at the top of page 77, it says our real purpose is to be of maximum service to God and the people about it to be of maximum service to God and his kids, to be of maximum service to God and my sisters. That's what I'm here to do. It's not about me. I don't know what I said tonight. I don't know if I make sense. I don't know, but I do know this. I am here to give at least one person a message, connect with one person about we now have a choice when we make the decision to get to God. Suffering is optional. Growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous is the way to go. And it's not always easy. It tells us it's not easy. You know, it, um, a price had to be paid and it meant complete self-destruction, you know, destruction of self where we have less of me and more of God, right? And that happens, that magic happens when we work with another person. And I have to close with this because I have to share this story. I relapsed, you guys know this, yeah? The woman, my very first sponsee, her name is Janet. She never relapsed. She believed every word in this book and she did it and she stayed emotionally well. And one night she, I was in a desperate place in a dark place and I called her and she 12 stepped me. And it's not an easy place to be to call somebody that you used to work with, right? That you were her very first sponsor. And um, she came to my home and she 12 stepped me. And she works with a woman named Amy. And, um, and you know, I, I wasn't done that after that 12 step, I had to like literally end up in the hospital. But when I got out and I got to detox and I did the things and I didn't want to die, Janet's sponsee, Amy became, she's my sponsor. And when I was making my ninth step amends uh, to, to Janet for putting her in that position, for um, putting her at a place where she had to 12 step me, right? She's like in my town. What happened was she looked at me and it was the most healing words in the world. Because you know what, you guys, if I had never said yes to her all that time ago, and I didn't say yes to her because I wanted to, I said yes to her because somebody else did. But she said to me, Jeannie, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of this thing that God is doing with us where he brings us all the way full circle because my first sponsee today is now my grand sponsor. And it's like, if none of that happened 15 years ago, I wouldn't be here before you guys. It takes a lot of work and it takes the right people being put in our life. And that's what we are here to do. If we don't know how to do it, we take counsel. We ask God for the help. And we stick together. And I love you guys. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you so much, each and every one of you for being here.